Hello all and welcome to edition 102 of the On The Ball podcast. Uh, no, <laughs> can't read an intro, turns out. Uh, welcome to edition 102 of On The Ball, which is the Norwich City podcast that is desperate to scale new heights every week. Uh, I'm Michael Bailey, I cover the Canaries for The Athletic and I hope this finds you safe and well and forgiving of my intro reading, but maybe maybe more than just that over the course of the rest of this podcast. Uh, on the way, gaping holes, Saudi trolls, climbing goals, and Villa's lost souls. Uh, we'll work through all that and more with our guests this fine evening. They are Norwich number one chief at NCFC numbers, also known as our very own Steve Sanders. Hello, Michael. Giving yourself an early edit to do there. Yeah, no, don't bother editing anymore. <laughs> I think everyone's realised that. Uh, we also have City Fan and On The Ball's official lawyer, which immediately makes her a vitally important member of the pod, given there's always a risk we'll defame someone. It's Miss <laughs> Hannah George. Hi, Michael. <laughs> there we go. And uh, last but by no means least, it's sports, sports, oh my goodness, it's both a sports broadcaster and journalist, Michael McCann, and presumably someone who can also get their words out better than me. Hello. Good evening, everyone. Yes, proven that he can. <laughs> Fine work, indeed. Um, thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks for everyone listening uh, and watching live, of course, on the socials. Uh, how are we doing, Steve? It feels like a long time since we've done a podcast together. Uh, yeah, I think the hundreds, but we missed maybe a couple of weeks since then. Um, just to warn everyone, I'm I'm only going to be giving ninety percent of myself tonight. Um, I hope that's okay with you, Michael, and uh, and the rest of the listeners. Wow. Just just. Um, just to let you know, um, and hopefully I'll be able to carry on after the summer as well with that with that in mind. Ninety percent okay. of you is more than good enough, Steve. You know. Oh, thanks, thanks, Michael. Well, you know, I, that's if it's good enough for for Delia and Michael, then it's good enough for on the ball, right? <laughs> so, um, anyway, sorry, I, um, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. You, you should move on. You should move on to someone else. Now. Well, yeah, we'll move on to a different subject, shall we? Um, uh, obviously not. Uh, yeah, this could be the, my easiest pod hosting job ever. I like this. Um, well, I'm glad you're well. Um, Susanna, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Um, exciting day tomorrow? A little bit. <laughs> it's Susanna's birthday tomorrow. Oh, so, um, happy birthday for tomorrow. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday for tomorrow. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably sing you happy birthday before the end of the show. Um, depends how desperate we get, maybe on some of the, for some positivity. Uh, how are you? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm uh, well. Considering the weekend, I'm quite good. <laughs> Excellent. That's, that's. I think pretty much all we can ask for. Um, Michael, thanks for joining us. So we've had a couple of false starts, haven't we? So it's good to have you yes. here. I think it's my fault. I had to um, pull out some of them. So great. To, thank you for making yourself available. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm just getting myself back into Norwich City mode, having spent two hours dealing with under nines at uh, West London's finest cricket establishment, Acton Cricket Club, which there's some kind of joke in there about under nines cricketing ability being better than what Norwich have done on the pitch this season. But I was too busy hurrying back to necessarily bring those together in a way that didn't seem grossly insulting to the entire club's history and instantly get me banished off the podcast. So I'm just going to wow. leave people to, to work with that as they wish. There is no chance you being banished off the podcast for that. And also, I thought you were going to say insulting to the under nine cricketers, to be honest. So well, you're that absolutely was, yeah, fine. exactly. It's that one, you know, it's that classic thing where you set up the two and then it's for, you know, that's, you know, you know where I was going with it. We know how it works. Don't you worry. Uh, well, it's lovely to have you all on. We're in for a cracker, I'm sure. He says, bigging it up. So let's get straight on, shall we, with our headline act.
So, Norwich were thrashed 3-0 by Newcastle United at Carrow Road. It takes them to the brink of relegation. And yet, I'm not sure anyone bothered to talk about that at any point during the weekend. Um, Instead, we had the publicising of sporting director turned mountaineer Stuart Webber, uh, his new Summit Foundation, and some pretty ugly scenes at Carrow Road clipped up on Twitter, albeit only involving a handful of supporters still. I'm going to leave it to you guys, actually, I think, um, to decide whether we talk about the football on the pitch or the stuff off it first. Obviously, we'll get to both. So uh, I don't know if we want to take it. Just say off or on. Well, Steve, off. your vote? Off. Michael? Off. Susanna? I was going to say on, but we can do off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, had I had a casting vote, I would have probably said off. Um <laughs> Uh, so did a few people on on Saturday. They were all <laughs> shouting something and then off. I can't remember what it was. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to assume everyone listening and watching already knows all of the details. I'm not going to go through it all, but um, maybe for a quick summary. I think we all knew that Stuart Webber was going to climb, climb Everest. Um, if, if not, then they will do now. Um, to, to do that, Zoe uh, Ward, uh, who's, of course, executive director and, and Stuart Weber's uh, wife and Weber himself have set up the Summit Foundation to raise money for young people and to help them give opportunities, which will be primarily a locally based foundation uh, that is there to raise money uh, alongside the publicity, publicity for what Stuart Weber is aiming to do, which is to claim, climb Everest in the next two years, something he's going to pay for himself at a cost of a quarter of a million pounds, <laughs> which is a lot of money. Um, he did an interview with the Times, which went live on Friday evening. Um, that has had, I don't want to say a mixed re- reaction because I haven't seen anyone say anything positive about it, to be honest. Uh, and it was all anyone was talking about at Carrow Road um, when Norwich were, as I said, thrashed 3-0 uh, by Newcastle and were pretty um, rubbish. Uh, and then um, some supporters were waiting for Stuart Weber outside the ground. It was filmed and it looks pretty ugly and... Um, that's pretty much all the details. And now we're all sitting here going, oh, blimey, that was a weekend. Um, there is a piece on The Athletic uh, wrapping up all that and a few little other bits, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about as well tonight. But if you want to read that, you can over at The Athletic. Um, Steve, I've got written down here. What do we make of it? <laughs> um well, I mean, we, we tend to get quite a lot of comments, I notice, about Stuart Webber. They've grown and grown, you know, as you ask me to look at the comments. And I think generally we sort of tend to kind of gloss over them a little bit because he does seem to get a harder ride from a lot of fans than I feel he sometimes deserves given where he's got us. Um, but I can't help but think, you know, because my, my day job is in communications and I, I can't help but think of the, the media team at Norwich City uh, when they saw that interview, um, whether they had anything to do with it, I don't know, and just thinking, what on earth is that? Like... You know, from a guy who seems so savvy uh, with PR and with, you know, getting positive messaging across to deliver something like that to the Times just seems utterly bizarre because he comes across, you know, regardless of the points he's trying to make, he comes across terribly. And, you know, his audience is is Norwich City fans and he just seems so aloof um, almost contemptuous towards Norwich City fans, and you know, I think he, I think he makes some fair points within what he's saying. But it's, it, there's a, it just feels like there's a sense of entitlement and a sense that he doesn't really want to be here. Um, and now, I think up to a point, he's right. If he wants to go off and do extracurricular things, he should be allowed to do that. But 
at a time like we're in at the moment when things aren't going well to kind of raise his head above the parapet. And by the way, I think we know now why he hasn't done it up to this point um, and say what he said. It, it just seems bizarre. I mean, I think the one that stood out to me or the, the comment that stood out to me was where he said some, something along the lines of, you know, in January, what do people, we'd had no money in January. So what do people expect me to do? Sit in my office for 30 days. It's like, well, well, yeah, mate, that's, that's your job. That's literally, you know, that is the most important part of the year other than the summer. And that is your job. If we don't have any money, well, you know, I'm not a Brentford in an exceptional case, but they found a player without spending any transfer funds. You know, we got some money from Cantwell moving out on loan. So there were wages available. I mean, yeah, I could go on and I'm sure I will, but I should probably let others speak. I just thought it was such a massive own goal. And I'm really surprised at a guy who seems very intelligent um, to give an interview like that. Um, I mean, I'm certainly here to answer questions and to fill in any blanks because I think sometimes things maybe aren't um, clear. And, you know, part of my job is probably knowing um, more about stuff than, than most people. Um, I mean, the, the I think the media team at Norwich were aware of the interview um, before it was done. Um, I kind of knew it was coming, um, but it was try it was attempted, I think, to be done completely exclusively of football. Um and to probably a non-Norwich City audience, but of course that doesn't isn't really possible. <laughs> it doesn't really work because um, that is the case when when he speaks. That is the audience essentially, whether he likes it or not, as Joe Weber. Um, so that I think accounts for probably some of the tone of it. Um, uh, yeah, and there was something else I was going to say, but I'm sure it will pop into my into my head. Um, Susanna, um, uh, you know you're, you're you're a paying season ticket holder. Um, where, where, and I presume you're going to renew next year. But uh, I mean, where where does this all? Where, what, what sort of feelings does it does it leave you with? I mean, it wasn't. It, it's not. It wasn't. Wasn't great. Um, I think I saw the. the yeah, I, I really echo Steve's comments. Like, I think it was just. It was just so untactful. The timing of it. Just, I don't know how you can. You know, in 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 the role of a sporting director, come in and say you're only going to give 90% effort. And then how are the players supposed to then go and put in 100% effort and feel like they need to give it everything? You know, that sort of feeds down through everybody else. And it sort of just gives this general feeling of, well, he's not bothering, why should I? And it, it just, I don't, I just, I think it just feeds really, really bad bad energy um, to an already very, you know, there was a very low morale anyway, just by virtue of where we were. And I just think it was really, it wasn't very tactful. It was, I've seen the phrase tone deaf thrown around and I I kind of agree with that. I think it it was just, it was bad. It was kind of like Meghan and and, and Harry's Oprah interview, wasn't it, in terms of rocking the kind of Norwich City world? It it wasn't great. Um, I, I suppose, Michael, to a degree, this this is what has happened. But by the same token, it probably would have been more more accepted had Norwich have been, you know, 16th in the Premier League and the summer recruitment had done well. So uh, it feels like potentially a, a culmination. And, and maybe that's the issue with the timing, just to for everything to, to come around like this. I have thought about the other thing I was going to mention as well, which is that um, I know there have been people who really wanted Stuart Webber to speak and be like, where is he? Um, I don't necessarily see it. And trust me, I'm someone who would be asking for it and requesting it. I don't see it as abnormal that the sporting director wouldn't necessarily speak until 
you know things are resolved this year i think as soon as norwich were relegated or are relegated um you know we, we will hear from him um that doesn't necessarily maybe explain the bit after January <laughs> and immediately after the transfer window. But, um, you know, given there was nothing to be done that month, maybe there was nothing to talk about and it was a case of letting them go on. Um, and he wouldn't normally have spoken in November, but, you know, he sacked the head, he sacked the head coach. <laughs> so he, he spoke then. Um, so I don't necessarily take issue with that because I know that he is going to do some media once Norwich are, are relegated. But uh, that was the other thing I was going to mention. But that doesn't help with whatever the question was that I was going to ask you, Michael. Um, which is, yeah, I spe- you know, ultimately, it, is this more of more of a culmination than just an issue with what happened at the weekend? Yeah, I think when you're a journalist, particularly trying to come from an outside perspective, you're trying to not just see that moment, but that moment within a season and that season within a collection of seasons. And I think it's easy for Norwich City fans to forget, but within the arc of, I mean, people understand what I mean when I mention this, of sort of doing a Burnley with nicer football. You go up, you're very sensible, you're very shrewd, expectations are incredibly low, you have nothing to lose. You come back down expecting to go up again with the expectation that when you go up that second time, you're going to challenge you're going to realistically be in a relegation battle, but you're going to be more competitive in that relegation battle. And then you see a team that in terms of their numbers and their points per game and how they're performing are actually at a similar level to two years ago. And I think the other thing that makes it even more galling for Norwich City fans is if you look at the points total this year, it looks like 34 might keep you up. It's not even like you're going to have to be that remarkably good to stay up. You know, if Norwich had even another, and I can see Michael ruefully smiling as I say this, if Norwich even had another sort of six points, seven points now, which given the resources, even with their meagre resources, is not an unreasonable thing to to think they could have by this stage of the season, they would be genuinely competitively in a relegation battle. And I think it's that and the fact that enough of those signings over the summer didn't work and didn't manage to get them to a place where at least they were in that fight with Leeds, Brentford and Everton, who are seemingly doing their very best to get relegated. And it's that context. And then, as Steve and Susanna referred to, the timing as well. And that is something that really surprises me, because having covered Norwich as a journalist and a commentator a fair bit across eight years in this industry, I'd seen the upturn in the club from when Weber took over and how much better things were run, how much better and more regularly the fans were communicated with in what seemed to be a very honest, open and transparent way. And I'm just, I'll be honest, my actual overriding emotion is surprise because under previous regimes at Norwich City, something like this happening, being communicated in this way, wouldn't have really shocked me in context of the wider thing going on. But to to do something like that now at this point, when you've had this season that was meant to be the season where you compete, where you, where you are genuinely, to put it as I did, competitively in a relegation battle, which they're not, let's be frank. To say this then, just as you're about to be relegated, I just didn't quite get why. I agree with what Steve said. There was a lot in the actual piece and the context, because as a journalist myself, I hate it when people judge a headline. I actually agreed with a lot of what he said. I don't think it's healthy in the 21st century, even for a sporting director, to work 52 weeks of a year, seven days a week, 
seven until seven. That is not a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. It's not good for your mental health. It's actually not good for your output and your performance in the job. However, to go about this bit of extracurricular self-development is one thing. To then communicate it like that at that time, yeah, I, I'm, I was a bit shocked about the way that was put across. And the question I suppose I find myself asking is, what was the benefit of doing that times piece? And to me, Stuart Weber is someone that will be a sporting director at clubs a lot bigger and higher profile than Norwich City. I still stand by that. I think if you look at his body of work across the period of time he's been there, people forget where he took them from to where they are now, which is still a much better place and still a team that will start next season as a championship promotion contender. But why do that piece and why do it now? That was what I found myself asking. Uh, I, f- I find it interesting that you're convinced of that because I have to say I- I'm entirely I think there's a big part of me and I've, I've said this for for years now <laughs> three or four years that I think it's entirely possible Stuart Webber would, would leave football and go and do something else and something else and I think in some ways that seems far more far more Stop likely now climbing mountains I guess well yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but <laughs> he, think, he will finish that but it's possible we could both be right, Michael. And that I, well, is, I, I think he comes across as someone, you see some of these people from working in football a while now who are just so obsessed with football, they can't live without it. He strikes me as one of those people that has a bit more of a balanced view of the world, which I actually think is not an unhealthy thing at all. I could see him going off and doing something like that, but then coming back to football in a major way. I mean, you remember Mate. this guy, this guy's got a serious CV for someone who's in his 30s. And that's why I stand by the fact that I think that as and when he comes back, he'll end up going to a higher level. And maybe this is an episode that when he's in a future role as well and potentially the rest of his Norwich City role, he'll have seen the response it's got and thought twice in terms of a communications viewpoint about learning some lessons maybe. I mean, I think, I think the other thing for me is that's kind of sad is he, he's tainted his legacy with what he's done. Like I, I can't because, I mean, you know, I've seen it in the comments. Uh, someone said Re- Weber's record is quite poor overall. I've seen people listing all the bad signings he's made. I mean, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think, I think he's yeah. done. He has, yeah. he has done a lot of good. But the problem is, and Susanna has already referenced this with the players. The minimum that you ask for with the players and the manager is a hundred percent effort. That's you know, that's that's a cliche, but that that is what you ask for. And if any, you know, you can you can forgive people making mistakes. And he had a bad summer yeah. in. Um, he had a bad summer in the window, and I think we can all accept that the money wasn't spent brilliantly. But you kind of defend the guy because he, you know, you've got to assume he's he's done his best. He's he's tried to get the best players in to help us stay up. But for him to then admit, like, well, I'm giving ninety percent, it just seems like such an odd thing to admit to. And you know, he's I'm I'm sure I kind of feel like he must know how that's being perceived, but. Again, it's like it's like know your audience. Football fans aren't going to accept you saying that, and it kind of casts Delia and Michael in a bad light as well because he said, "Well, I've admitted this to them, and they're fine with it." Well, so, not so. only. I mean, this this I found, and um, you know, I was at the Summit Foundation dinner on Thursday night, so I, I heard a lot of this in a in a in a different um, setting. Um, but that that I remember coming home that night and that bit really sticking in my mind anyway. So I was kind of surprised it got repeated and then added in the in the in the interview. Um, and it is just an honest thing. But it, like you say, even if you're arguing whether it's ninety percent of your 
living life or 90% of your working life. You know, it's it's something that if someone was in front of you and you were trying to recruit them, you'd want that full commitment from them, wouldn't you? And you want them to say it. And, and you know, you'd then work around what that actually looked like. But the point is that he was leaving and at least in Stuart Webber's words, it, you know, it was Delia Michael who said, no, we would rather have 90% of you than nothing of you. We are want, we are able, willing, we are wanting to, we are offering that you stay on a new contract. Uh, and it doesn't matter that it's not going to be all of you because a bit of you is better than nothing, but also then presumably better than anyone else doing the job who would be more committed or would be hungry or would be. And I, I don't know how you keep 90% of something but yet assume it's going to be as good as the 100% was before that. <laughs> what, what are we keeping here? And I think that's a really difficult um, balancing act. And it does kind of, I'm afraid, tap into where we've kind of been with the Norwich City Board for, for years, which is that they let people run the show. They, they sit off them, <laughs> like Norwich is yeah. defending, yeah. Um, and let them get on with it. And that can be really good when it's going well, because it's like, look at the trust they give you. It's brilliant. And then there's zero accountability when it all goes wrong until ultimately they kind of make a decision that's generally too late. It feel, feels to me like somebody who, who was too comfortable. He's, he's, well, that he's was too, a bit he, of the vibe. Of the, that I was just, all I was going to say was that was a bit of the vibe of the David McNally era as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it, it, 100%. Exactly. Um, what what and, baffles me about the whole thing is that isn't, isn't it almost exactly what Emmy was saying? And they're like, well, we had to get rid of him. He didn't want to really be here. And I'm kind of thinking, well... Hmm. I can't deal how you can reconcile both of those positions. Either you, you know, you have to give 100% commitment and you want to be here, otherwise you're out the door or you're not. But you can't say, well, well, it's spawn director, he can stay at 90, but we won't try and keep Emmy, who arguably hasn't done a whole lot. Um, that is that is such a good point, and actually, like it, it kind of leads on to, I guess, the next question, which may be your best place to answer, Michael Bailey. Um, where does that does this leave Weber? Do we see him staying beyond the end of this season, or or is this is that it for him? God, have you, have you read the script, Steve? Oh, sorry, am I asking you a question? How I've does this one, all play okay. out? How how I, I, am I supposed to answer a question? Oh yeah, sorry. no, I did say I would, didn't I? Um, so there's some really interesting things here now. Um, I I've, I've felt the question about Stuart Weber's future beyond this summer has kind of been there throughout. Um, although they announced that he'd agreed a new contract to the AGM um, and the, the suggestion was he would, you know, it would be a, for a whole year and they get to the next summer and then decide if the next year would be his last, which made me think, okay, well, you're not ever going to get to a summer and it'd be like, right, I'm off. Um, he hasn't signed the new contract um, by all accounts, um, which I find interesting. I don't know why that is. It might just be because they're really relaxed. It doesn't really matter. Um so, you know, as it stands, he could still leave in the summer. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure why that contract hasn't been signed. Um, and, you know, when you just witness something and you just think, I'm not really sure if what that feels like the end. It's just mm. how. And I, I see a lot of the reaction of Norwich fans. I'm still not convinced I'd still say it's fairly in the balance whether fans would want him here or not, because a lot of them really appreciate the job he does in the championship and how actually if he wasn't here, would what was left behind be good enough or would it really impose a, a horrible situation on Norwich going forwards? I have to say I'm sitting here at the moment. I fear Norwich being a bit stuck 
regardless of what happens next whoever's in charge because i think they're entirely capable of being a bit stuck in the championship for a bit because i've seen it before um so long and short is i don't know um i expect him to do some media once norwich are relegated and that will be probably one of the big questions um but you know stuart weber has said that even if he is climbing up mountains there are enough people around the club to look after things when he's not around so I wonder if he'd maybe feel like that if he wasn't around at all. But I don't know. What What do you think? Who wants to go on, Susanna? What do you think? Um, I kind of, I really want to know what what Dean Smith, what the situation is with Dean Smith, because it might be that when he was brought on, you know, Stuart Webber might have been a massive selling point for him with his track record. Mm. And, you know, that might sort of be tied in together. And that might be, I, I just, I just wonder how, you know, if we were to lose Stuart Webber, what that would, whether we would maybe even lose Dean Smith as well if that was almost not a package deal but you know if you, you think it's what a sporting director do bringing in business and then they might not be there I, yeah I just I, I would love to know what what sort of agreement there was in in that sort of on that level that's a good question um so I know that one of Dean Smith's you know first questions when um Stuart Weber and Neil Adams went to his house to try and you know get into sign was what was his future so I would imagine that, um, you know, Dean Smith was aware that Stuart Webber probably wanted to climb some mountains, but was staying, uh, I would have thought, because he's been pretty open about that. He said, honestly, it's not really an issue because that's kind of what he's been saying. So, um, but it is an interesting one with Dean Smith because I, I even think if, if Stuart Webber stays and does his job in part, there's a role there for Dean Smith to fill some of the void with his experience. Uh, he has kind of been that head coach that's had a bigger role. And um, he's an intelligent man who could probably deal with it. So um, he becomes quite important to me. Um, mm. But I don't know what you think, Steve. You were going to say something. Well, I was just going to say, I was speaking to um, Ben Mounter of, of this podcast uh, at the weekend, and he, he made the point that, um, and whether it's some of this got cut out of the interview, I don't know. But um, at no point does Weber mention anything about next season or looking ahead to the future. It's it's all very uh, introspective and uh, and kind of confrontational and, and not really looking ahead, as you would expect a sporting director to do. Um, so I don't know if that's a a clue of sorts there um there's just been a comment in the chat as well um just slightly slightly related from james m uh, 852 michael uh weber talked in the past about succession planning if he was willing to walk out the door was there likely a successor identified or would this have been neil adams is it still neil being is that the situation as we understand it if he were to move on um no i don't think it's ever there was kind of this specific line that do not assume that Neil Adams will be the next sporting director right. just because he's been made assistant, um, which is kind of interesting because I think at, at Brighton, they made an assistant sporting director and, and probably had an angling that Dean, uh, Dan Ashworth was leaving. So I think I can't remember who it was now, but I think they became sporting director. But um, so the, the official line is not to assume that. No. Um, and that I, it's a, a vacancy I, I, that I guess Norwich would then look to recruit for and they may find some people um i know um the former burnley um sporting director i think it's mike rigg has um has has been doing stuff with Stuart weber over the course of the past few months you think of someone like kieran scott who went to middlesbrough to become a sporting director i don't know maybe he's still in touch with people and fancy coming back you don't know I, it's there's so many uh, bits and bobs um 
or, or Neil does get promoted. So um, I don't know um, the answer to that. I would say in regards to the first point, I know that this whole the whole interview was set up with the premise of not really talking about football. So the fact that he didn't get into right. next season for me was a sign was a was a sign that this interview isn't about that. Uh, but as I said, it kind of the, the problem is it couldn't not be about football at all because the issues are in, inextricably linked. And actually, maybe in a way that then put more um, prominence on the stuff he did say mm-hmm. <laughs> and probably created an issue actually indirectly, which is. Uh, maybe then becomes an issue about the timing and, and doing it in the first place. So there we go. Um, Michael, is what, what do you reckon? Should Stuart Webber still be here to do the summer transfer dealings? If I had to guess, I would say yes. And the reason being that you've already referred to it, Michael, you've got an ownership that are known for their passivity and not being, you know, I, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say, and being an ownership that compared to other owners are quite happy to hand Gillian and Michael Wynne Jones have spoken openly about this, a lot of control over to those running it. So I don't really see them taking that back and saying to Stuart Webber, actually get your coat, you're done, unless the handful of fans, and we have to put this in context as well, because social media can be a bit unhelpful sometimes. That video goes out, suddenly it's all Norwich City fans. It was a handful of supporters. Now, if that handful of supporters is thousands in six weeks' time who are losing their rag because Norwich have gone down again, as I alluded to earlier, in a season where expectations were high that they they might go down, but they'd at least give it a real, real go in terms of, not in terms of the transfer spend, but in terms of how that translated to on the pitch. So my prediction would be that it won't get quite that bad. And my prediction on that basis would be that it won't get so bad that Dealey and Michael will release Stuart Webber of his duties. And so on that basis, and as Susanna referred to, the Dean Smith dynamic, I think Dealey and Michael are far more inclined to play it safe and have Webber stay and say, look, we've actually got Stuart Webber, who is sporting director with his recruitment, has got us out of the championship, which Norwich City fans forget. I know because I cover the championship as a commentator week in, week out, is a fiendishly difficult division to get out of. Norwich City fans have been spoiled. It's something like four promotions in five out of the Championship team will know. Um, and they've me- often made it look a bit easy. And they made it look easy last time because they had two cheat codes. One was Emmy Bondier and one was Ollie Skip. And they won't have both of those next season. So personally, I would expect, <laughs> sorry to remind you, um, I would expect he will be there. And they'll say, actually, for all there's been this, you know, maybe ill-timed article and what's come from it and another relegation, if we look around at Norwich City's opposition in the championship next year and we have Dean Smith, a manager with proven experience at that level, and Stuart Webber with proven experience at that level, is it more of a risk to remove Webber, have to go and find someone who all those names are all very creditable do not have the cv as a, of a sporting director that Stuart weber does they don't have that yet none of those do and it would be difficult for norwich to find someone that does and then how do they link with dean smith as well so to me i don't think norwich will take that option i don't think norwich are a club that inherently has a, an ownership that likes to take risks if there were other clubs in that situation cough watford uh he would have probably been gone a month ago before the article was even written and hmm. someone else would have been brought in and by this before they even got to the window, Michael. But that's my um, my inclination, bar something really 
catastrophically big in terms of a fan protest and all that kind of thing happening way beyond even the reaction to this article would be next season it will be Stuart Webber and Dean Smith or, but uh, it's football or, isn't it it's football well, yeah. <laughs> or, or Stuart walking out um yes uh, well yeah that, yes, that is one careful isn't it <laughs> we that will say um we should talk about the football uh, briefly. Michael, just uh, before we move on, just quickly crowbar a couple of things oh yes, in. Please, um, please, please first, Firstly, uh, it's a shame Dan Brigham's not on because he was ahead of the curve on this with his pick that one out from a couple of weeks ago. So it's a shame that he's not here to follow that up today. Um, but also, I think, um, uh, just to say, don't agree with the fact. I, I feel like it needs to be said, but the fans standing outside the ground showing dogs abuse, and regardless whether they were goaded by him or not, is it just, just what are you doing? Can you I? Know? Can I make one point on that as well? Because I saw some people saying, oh, look, he's laughing at us. He's laughing at us, um, which was yeah. the reaction to the video. It is laughable, though. <laughs> well, but can I just say, and obviously, it's a very short clip. We don't know what happened either side of it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we've all just seen the clip as it is. And it will be etched in a lot of people's memories, but it is just that clip. Um, I went uh, to... Um, got a little canoe dinghy thing and we went to take it out <laughs> great story this by the way we went <laughs> to take it start. we went to take it out at horning okay um so the car horning beautiful part of the world by the way uh, so the car is blocking a road um just while we i go and do this all on my own and, my, and the kids and, and my wife are having fun and um uh, an elderly woman in a four by four drives up uh sees um that the road is blocked and goes meh, 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 and then looks in i can see her in the front window and she sort of does this really grim annoyed I'm not gonna say that, annoyed face hands in the air going what on earth is this what are you doing and my reaction was to go, <laughs> what yeah. are you doing? That's hilarious. Why are you doing that? Yeah. And that's my reaction. Um, yeah. uh, but sometimes I would laugh at things if I'm confronted with things because it's like hilarious. And I suppose <laughs> um, maybe if you're just getting a load of abuse, you would just laugh at those views. I, I don't think sometimes these things need to be. Um, and, and, you know, the woman, uh, Fliss and my wife spoke to the woman. Everything was fine. We waited patiently. She waited patiently. We got the canoe happy in and, and she moved on. Everything was happy and we all we all made up. So, you didn't, you know, you didn't blow her a kiss then? Doesn't have to be the No, did that happen? Apparently. I mean, I was here to say. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Well, that wasn't on the video. So the, the, other th the other thing that, that happened, I, I actually walked past, I did see part of this going on but but i was told by a friend who stuck around that that max came out of that door and he got abuse from those same people and it kind of loses impact if you just start yelling abuse at anyone that comes out of that door <laughs> i mean i think he probably wished he'd gone the other side max um, aarons yeah yeah um right okay oh, well, a, tell guy, you what, a guy who could be playing for barcelona at this point <laughs> yeah <laughs> allegedly um uh yeah the, the newcastle game um <laughs> Susanna, yeah, what do you want to say about that? I had I mean I actually generally had quite a good day because um oh. I me and some of the girls went for cocktails before at the Cozy Cup. So we were quite merry. And then of course it was really bright sunshine and it was blasting into the Barclays. So I didn't see a whole lot because it was so bright. So it was probably and you couldn't see the football. Best Saturday ever. <laughs> no, but, but on a on a on a serious note, I I uh, I mean I don't really know if there's any sort of positives. What I found baffling was the situation with Ben Gibson, because he was on the bench and whether or not that was, obviously we don't know what goes on in training. Obviously he made the mistake the weekend before, but, um, you know, when when we took um, Zimmerman off and we were suddenly like, oh, why have we only got one centre-back? And they were like, oh no, we've, we've moved Sam Byram across. Well, what, 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 what's going on? Um, and I sort of, 
I, I just can't. I don't know what's happened with Ben Gibson, but I I think he still would have been a really solid, you know, choice in that team. Um, I've looked back at the stats and that we haven't picked up a single point. It, it, he's basically been featured in every game where we have picked up a point this season, and so has Pookie, and they're the only two players, I believe, that have featured in every game that we have picked up a point in. Good um, stats, you, you know, and if and if we are to competition, but if we're to sort of disown Billy Gilmore on the same stats that he has, you know, he's normally party to losses, although we, we can't blame him for this weekend, you know, surely you then have to look equally at those performances. And another one to throw in there is Brandon has been party to every win as well. Um, and he didn't feature at all on Saturday. And that's two solid defenders. Um I mean, Genius has got a fabulous record, so I, I can see why. But, but I just, I, I think we give our defenders and, and even Tim Call as well a lot of stick for small mistakes. You know, strikers, Josh Sargent has missed, sitters, Pookie has, but we really rain down on the one or two, you know, mistakes that maybe concede a goal. But that shouldn't be the entire performance. That shouldn't be the entire story. And I think they got a lot of stick for, for that. And I, I don't really know why Ben wasn't played on Saturday. I do. I, I do. Um, okay. In that um, he didn't come on. Uh, Dean Smith said he didn't come on because um, he felt they were being undone by Newcastle's pace up front. So that, and I presume he felt that Ben Gibson was as slow <laughs> as Christoph Zimmerman. So therefore, Sam Byron moved across. I actually did quite well at centre back, I yeah. thought, but obviously he had the pace to deal with the situation. Um, my it, issue with that reasoning from Dean Smith was, well, kind of would have known that Newcastle were quick up front. So, you know, but I guess maybe you wouldn't have thought to start Sam Byram there from the off. So um, maybe that's a bit harsh and he did at least deal with the problem as he saw fit. But um, uh, I think Ben Gibson was okay because he went to the boxing on Saturday night <laughs> to watch Tyson Fury. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, um, and uh, absolutely, am I not criticising for that, by the way? He is more than uh, able <laughs> to go and do something he enjoys uh, in his own spare time, um, which... You know, as, as long as he's giving 100% when he's on the pitch. Oh, we're not going to go over this again, are we? Um, so that's great. Um, I don't know if there's much more to talk about the, the game, um, but maybe we'll touch on some of the other um, issues in in, the, in our next section. But just on the third goal, who are we blaming? <laughs> Can we Do we blame Tim Krull or do we blame Kenny McLean? Because they had an argument oh. about it, Steve. Oh, Tim and, Krull. Um, Tim Krull. Tim Krull, uh, who got his first assist for Newcastle since 2015. So congrats to, <laughs> to him on that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, he just, he, it was it was a bad pass. I, I can't see how, I, I, Kenny got shrugged off a little bit, but um, you know, it, it, I've, I've, it, it was a poorly played pass. I think, he, I think he has to take that one on the chin, unfortunately. I, I imagine as a footballer, you know if a pass is bad and it felt like Kenny knew mm-hmm. if he didn't make it, it wasn't his fault because oh, also, was also I'm not a goalkeeper. I'm not a goalkeeper, oh, no. but but I I feel like if a goalkeeper makes a mistake that could be blamed on another teammate to save face, you have to have a go at that player <laughs> just to make it look like it wasn't your fault. It happens all the time, so I think that's just like cruel, kind of you know, just switching into that mode of thinking. Um, as you've reminded me of. A- Oh, sorry, Michael, you just reminded me of a funny moment where um, Tim Krull was obviously getting some lovely chants from Newcastle fans because they loved Tim Krull. Mm-hmm. You know, it was 3-0, so Tim just ignored him, at which point they booed him. And then after the four-time whistle, they sung his name and he was sort of walking back over to the other pitch and he did this kind of dismissive, like, yeah, thanks for that, kind of <laughs> wave at them. It's like, leave me alone, um, which I thought was like, yeah, you're a bit sort of um, between a rock and a hard place there. Sorry, Michael. 
No, I was just going to add the three words came to mind when I heard Susanna talking very eloquently about all of that, which was rearranging deck chairs and Titanic, really. Um, I, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, they got rid of Gibson because of the errors at Old Trafford, but then Zimmerman comes in, doesn't fit what Newcastle do. Um, one thing I'd pick up on that I've noticed is a really interesting sort of statistical trend. And once I'd seen this, I couldn't unsee this in tables. Overwhelmingly, a goal is pretty much worth a point. It's very yeah. rare that a team has, you know, unless they've got an insanely good defence, is in the promotion places with a lot less goals than points and vice versa. And Norwich are no bucker of that trend. And if you look at two years ago and this season, there's not actually too much difference. For me, Pukki's the player of the season. Pukki scored 10 goals off pitiful service. And that matches up pretty well with his expected goals. That matches up pretty well with what you could reasonably expect of anyone in the bottom six um, and in that mini league that Norwich are in. The problem Norwich have had is the same problem from two years ago is in midfield in particular, in terms of contributing with both assists and goals. I mean, that is that is the crux of it. If you had, If you had even sort of, you know, much like two years ago, you probably would have looked at people like Vrancic and Zimmerman. You now would be looking at, you know, midfield or forwards. You would have been looking at Campbell when he was here. You would have been looking at Sargent, Rashica, maybe the likes of Lise Melu and Sorensen, etc. just chipping in. You just haven't really had that. You only need two of those players to have scored just, or three of them to have scored two. And that's another six. Like, it sounds so little, Honestly. Right? Do you see what I mean? Right? No, I do. Yeah, no, I, back, I get it. Norwich's goal scoring. The back line have actually chipped in a little bit. They've done about what you could reasonably expect off defenders in terms of adding in some goals. But if, if you'd have got three pairs out of your midfield and your further advanced forward players, that's six goals. That's probably six points. And as I alluded to earlier, that six, seven points is all you need to be still at this point and competitive. And to me, from how I read Norwich fans, that's what they're asking for. They're not expecting to be 15th necessarily, but they're just expecting that even if we are in the bottom three with X number of games to go, we're in the bottom three, but we're in a fight and we've realistically got a chance, as opposed to, as you've alluded to a few times, Mike, on your video verdicts, where quite understandably nobody really believes at this point apart from that squad. I think... um... Yeah, our, our own goals, Steve, still second top joint top scorer at the moment? I or think they might be. I don't know if Sarge, maybe, I think, is it two own goals and two Josh Sargent goals? Um, just, yeah. a, just a very quick, I mean, I, I just double checked, not that I needed to, because obviously Susanna's facts are, are sacrosanct. But, Nailed um, <laughs> but Gib, yes, Gibson and Pookie. And also, um, we've not scored uh, in the, the six games that Pookie hasn't started. Uh, in both across both Premier League seasons, we've not scored a single goal in any of them. Haven't scored a single well, goal. So un- that's just so unsurprising. Yeah. <laughs> right, um, it's a good stat. Don't get me wrong. It's great. I didn't mean to sound insulting, but you know, no, you're right. You're right. It is. Please follow them. Um, right. Well, I think that is the longest ever headline act. Um, so in that case, we're going to rattle through all the rest of the podcast in about five minutes. Um, but let's crack on, shall we, with a bit of this. <laughs> It's pick that one out where the podders each get a short window to bring up an issue they're struggling to let go. If they lose themselves for more than 30 seconds, the buzzer sounds, uh, which is here. 
Phew. Um, and uh, it is then time to let go, maybe. Um, who would like to go first? Uh, Susanna, is it your birthday tomorrow? Would you like to go first? I can do. I'm sorry. I was tell, meant tell to, me to nice go, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you can go um, now, if you like. Okay, I know it's been a really disappointing season, but I cannot get on board with people leaving before the full-time whistle. You know, not that long ago, we weren't even allowed in the grounds. So I think it's just rude to leave. Um, and, you know, we're, we're berating Stuart Webber for only giving 90% effort. But if we leave, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes before the end, we're not doing any better than he is. We're only giving half our effort in as well. Um, and those, crucially, those last few minutes are probably when we've made all our subs and the only energy the pay- players are going to get is from the fans. And if we're not there, it's not going to happen. It was quite sad seeing Jacob Murphy sort of applaud 50 people in the Barclay <laughs> for his big return. <laughs> and he did quite well, bless him. But I mean, that's a lot of people that you're you're taking issue with on Saturday because there were not many people left for the last mm. five minutes. But that's okay. That's okay, Susanna. I'm it's not, okay if not... you've got an emergency and you've got to like mm. go somewhere, but... <laughs> No. As long as you don't leave early, Michael. I mean, that definitely would no, be. Well, I couldn't anyway. I once turned up late at QPR. Yeah, I am. You know, yeah, you know that it. American footballer that did the whole, like, I'm here so I don't get fined? It's just, oh, like, yeah. Nice. I have this image of Michael just in the press box just and like it gets to about 75 um, minutes just like typing I'm on his laptop leaving. like i'm here so i don't get fucked. <laughs> hey we got you know there were there were obviously always things to learn even the even in the 93rd minute um uh michael would you like to go next yeah yeah okay when you're ready off you go so i cover women's football a lot and one thing i noticed is that norwich city's women's team who obviously spoke to millie last week they're in tier four of the pyramid and not only are they in Tier 4, but they're in Tier 4 against men's clubs who are not even non-league teams. And not only are they in that division, and this is no criticism of the players on the pitch, please don't misunderstand me, but they're barely surviving in that division. They need more infrastructure, they need more support, and I would argue that even a self-funding club like Norwich should do half a million as a loss leader to support the women's team. Sorry, that was uh, that was Millie getting in touch saying, here, here, no. <laughs> I don't know why my WhatsApp went off, but there we go. Um because I've got my thingy on. Uh, well said, Michael. Too true. I, I do think there's going to be... Um, I might have written this. Maybe I was going to mention this later. Um, yeah, I think there might, might be, you know, changes ready for next season and things like that that will maybe help with that. Um, I know they're trying to but, improve it, but to me, and I know that, you know, I've commentated on the FA Women's Championship a bit as well as the FA Women's Super League a lot, and half a million a year, like, I know that doesn't sound like a lot. You can pretty much have a full-time squad. And if Norwich did that and said, right, half a million a year is for the women's team, lost leader, do it. There's every chance that within three seasons, four seasons, you'd have a team in the second tier. Which, and uh, I, I, you know, I don't think Ipswich it's asking. Do, I think. And that was what I was just, yeah, that was oh, why I said I'm not going to get this into 30 seconds. But it came <laughs> to my mind when I saw I was commentating on the FA Cup women's quarterfinals and I had two games and one of the two I didn't do was Ipswich, a third-tier team who've won their division and are going to be in a playoff against, I believe it's Wolves, for a right to get into the championship, the second-tier next season. And if Ipswich are able to do that, they've kind of put Norwich to shame a little bit there. And if I, you know, I know that there was a bit about putting player profiles on the website, more marketing, that kind of thing, but I, I think more can be expected. And I know that about half a dozen or so women's teams with men's championship or premier league teams are going full-time next season 
who are teams who like Norwich are in tier three or four. So if they can do it, there's no real reason why Norwich can can do it either, to be honest, because as I alluded to, even with a self-funding model, it costs, compared to the men's side of things, it's half a million quid about. I mean, here, here. And it's, it's going to become more prominent given we've got the Women's World Cup coming up in the summer as well. So here, here. Well, said. well said, Michael. Um, Steve, yep. ready? Got one. Go for your life. Okay. Um, I feel like I haven't said this enough this season because uh, we've had played a lot of Goal. bad teams here. We haven't said that much. Um, would anyone here swap places with Newcastle? Would you swap places on with a Newcastle fan? Would you swap places on Saturday? I wouldn't genuinely would not like you can I don't care if we get beaten every single week you know have your fans waving their cash at their home fans if you want um but I don't I'm I'm quite happy being Norwich City quite honestly and I think this season has really brought that to light regardless of how terrible we've been and Pierre Lee's Malou shouldn't have got man of the match on Saturday either <laughs> that's a specific who, ending who should who should have who should have i don't know but he wasn't very good based on the first 15 minutes um I, I, uh, let's say dowell i thought dowell was okay and i give yeah. him a bit of stick normally so yeah. um yeah well said um and, and well said on that i mean um uh, speaking as someone who got well constant really <laughs> back chat yes i saw your Saudi over flags. the weekend um <laughs> I, I feel like I'll just explain this if I do. I, you know, whenever Norwich play, I try and think of a of an emoji that is relevant to the opposition. You know, I try and be a bit playful with it, you know, because it's, you know, life's dull. When we, when Norwich played in Manchester United, I picked the really angry face because they were obviously all really angry at the moment and sack of cash for Man City and Portuguese flag for Portugal because of the George Mendes, you know, links and all that sort of thing. I love the way you just said Portuguese flag for Portugal. Uh, sorry, for Wolves. Freudian slip there. For Wolves, yeah. Um, so I was, it was, you know, got before the game. I was like, well, you know, they've been bankrolled by Saudi Arabia in terms of, you know, at least the investment from the country, whether it's directly actually owned by the country or from someone else. So, you know... That you know that seems quite apt, so I'll use that. Um, wasn't really a, a particular um, uh, you know opinion on it. <laughs> um, it was that, but it was just the reaction was fascinating because it's obviously incredibly sensitive, and I don't think Newcastle fans know how to process that because I think they're stuck. What can they yeah. do? They can't, and so they took it out on me, which is like okay, fair enough. Yeah, we don't support the regime, or well, yeah, but you know that's. Well, that has made the difference because no team has survived in that position. And as good as Eddie Howe has done, you know, all of the all of the changes around the club have made a, a quite an obvious difference as well. Um, uh, Bruno Guimaraes was was fantastic was on great. Saturday, and he's a wonderful player. And um, you know, it's all cumulative. Um, so I feel a bit for the Newcastle fans, not not particularly in how they um, you know maybe um, articulated it. But, you know, they're a bit screwed because whatever their opinions are on, on Saudi Arabia, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a profound effect on whatever their football club does from here. So they're going to have to deal with that. Um, and um, maybe look at some of the... There's a brilliant piece that Adam Crafton has written about Saudi Arabia um, and, uh, and its context of, of, of where it stands in, and, and involvement in football. So there's loads of stuff on The Athletic that you can read about that that will put things in far more context than, than me. Um, but, you know, I wasn't trying to annoy anyone, but, um, uh, but maybe, I, I maybe it's good that it did because I, it, I, I don't think they can ignore it. I completely agree with you. I, I do think fans should never be put in that position to have to make that choice. You know, it's it's the Premier League who are to blame for this, not Newcastle fans. But ultimately, like if you're going to if you're going to cheer a goal that goes in and you're going to you're going to take all the glory from a club that is backed by 
Saudi investors and and that is what has helped them go propel them up the table you've got to wear I mean it, you've got to wear the jibes it wasn't even a jibe you just put a Saudi flag on you, you've, got <laughs> well, wear, you've, got to, you've got to wear it you take the rough of the smooth right that, that's how it I works think they, they sort of felt well why didn't you I think people thought I would normally have just used a black and white emoji but I stopped doing that years ago because it's just dull I'm just trying <laughs> to think you're waiting so on think, your emoji <laughs> I think they thought I was doing something particular for them um, yeah. which I wasn't really I was just doing what I do for any club um, but obviously for them, they could not deal with it. And the fact they could not deal with it, for me, says absolutely everything. So there we go. Um, I thought they were quite okay. good at oh, the sorry, weekend, sister. to be fair. I just thought their oh, support was really good at oh, the weekend. But, they were fabulous. But, I mean, I, mean I, didn't, I didn't speak to anyone in the ground of a Newcastle no. persuasion. It was just people on social nice media. They were very nice about so. um, Pookie, and they really liked Jonathan Rowe as well when he got on. They think big things, from all the ones I spoke to after um, on Twitter um, seem to have, you know, big hopes for, for Jonathan Rowe and, and also really want us to come back up next season and also want us to bury Everton in the championship. <laughs> Possible. <laughs> Depends how much, how screwed they are. Um, it's an interesting point because Chris Woff, um, my colleague, was obviously down from Newcastle. He was talking about what they're going to do in the summer and, um, you know, they're going to look for a striker. And I have to say, if I was, if I was at Newcastle for like, I don't know, you could probably bid nine million quid for Tamu Puki for 12 months. I reckon Norwich would sell him for that. It cost Newcastle nothing. He'd guarantee them goals. His movement's great. He could play in a two. I would not obviously want this to happen. I'm going to say that right down the camera. It'd be horrendous. But I just think it's a no-brainer because I think the biggest issue for Tamu Puki staying at the moment is that he's clearly, quite clearly, a Premier League striker in a team that have been miles short of it. And, you know, just be like a no-brainer. The point I mentioned it, as well as because one of the things I was not going to talk about is obviously the contract renewals. There's a piece on Todd Campwell on The Athletic. You can read that. Obviously, they've renewed his contract basically with the still the intention of selling him this summer, potentially to Bournemouth if they want him, which is sort of hanging in the balance. Um, Matthew Dennis is another contract they've extended. He's done well at South End. I would envisage that they will try and sell him. Um, that's just to protect his value as well. And then obviously, Tamu Puki, where I don't know. I just a bit, I'm just a bit worried. But, I've um, got to be honest, I wouldn't be worried about Puki signing for Newcastle because I reckon with the embarrassment of riches they have, they'll be shopping well beyond mm. that, to be honest. I, I, I just I maybe I just don't I I don't see it. When you look when you look at the quality of players they were already able to go and get in when they were actually in a relegation dogfight as opposed to safely in mid table with I imagine their ambition will be Europe next season. They won't mess about. I I don't really see that. I think if they had like a more normal, reasonable budget, I'd agree with you. But I think when you are playing with that sheer amount of wealth, if I had to bet, you said 9 million, I reckon they'll sign a headline marquee striker for at least three times that. Like we know from football history, team gets a lot of money. One of the first things that happens is striker signs for massive money. And even when they sign Chris Wood, I'll be honest, I looked at that as a tactical, strategic move of let's just take, almost out of spite, because we can, one of our relegation rivals' best players and get him now rather than in the summer just to make it more likely they go down. Um, and in the nicest possible way, because Chris Wood's a perfectly serviceable sort of bottom-half Premier League striker with a very decent career, I don't think Chris Wood will be Newcastle's number one striker in no, maybe no. in six months' time, never mind 12 months. Chris Wood will be coming off the bench for a cameo and it will be a name 
with a pedigree and a CV far beyond Chris Wood or Tamo Puki. Who maybe, uh, yeah, maybe Norwich could get him on loan in the other say, direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, other things we are not going to talk about, so we're going to rattle through these quickly. Uh, fan of the season, the voting is up if you if that's your kind of thing um, on the Norwich City website. Uh, Ollie Skips extended his Spurs contract which just made me a bit sad again, but good for Ollie. Um, uh, have a listen to the Scrimmages podcast on the 50 year, 50th anniversary of Norwich City's 1972 promotion, which is their first time into the top flight. Uh, brilliant if, if you're not um, uh, if you're not aware of the story, but also some of the little gems in that. Um, Chris and Rob and Co doing a great job was on that, that. That was an idea first mooted on the On The Ball 100 podcast, I believe, by Chris. He probably had the idea before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he did. Yeah, he was, uh, he was well up for doing that, I think. So um, they did a great job on that. And that's all I've got. So I think we've mopped up that list. Um, I've written here that that is half time, but it's quite clearly not half time. It's been going almost an hour. So um, instead, um, this was the point where I was going to say no centrefold, but yes, well worth listening to last week's podcast when I spoke to Millie Davies about uh, Norwich City Women. So give that a look. And there is a, a feature on Norwich City Women as well on The Athletic. I've done well out of my plum, uh, plums, <laughs> puns, plugs. Plugs was the word I was looking for. That was dangerous. Um, uh, yes, so there's another piece on The Athletic. Go and read that. Um, and that all brings us on to <gasps> Motti. This is almost fantasy football. Yes, indeed. It's where we look ahead and paint a picture of the next seven days for Norwich City. Um, we are running out of games now. The next one is Aston Villa away. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Norwich can be relegated at Dean Smith's former and boyhood club uh, is definitely one for the narrative fans out there and has convinced me it will probably happen. So there we go. Uh, I mean, bizarrely, Steve, I think Villa could end up with a worse record this season, mostly under Steven Gerrard, than they did last season. Under Dean Smith. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been creeping up on me, actually, that, that Gerard doesn't seem to have done a great job there. I mean, you know, I think if you ask Villa fans, they'll probably say, oh, we were going down under Dean Smith. I'm not so sure they would have done. I think he probably would have turned it round. But I can see why they wanted to change. Um, I think next year will be obviously the making or breaking of Gerard. I'm not necessarily convinced. Um but as far as Saturday goes for us, um, it, it might even be our best chance of getting a win or some points of the games we've got remaining, just because Villa's form hasn't been good um, and we only really take points off teams whose form isn't good. Um, maybe that'll be the end of Gerard if we win on Saturday. It's <laughs> well, done, yeah. done for a few other managers, Being isn't it? Player. Yeah, I mean, that would, that would be, that's an alternative narrative there for you, Michael, <laughs> rather than us going down. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I have to say at the moment, and I'm sorry to sound glass half empty, my main thought is, Let's just get more points than we did last season. We only need one more, um, but let's let's that's that's got to be the next thing to aim for. And um, yeah, why not? Uh, we could steal a point there, couldn't we? I think I think if we turn, you know, it was it was rubbish on Saturday. But to be fair, the the two performances before that with the four two three ones uh, worked pretty well. So I think if they can get that out of their minds um, and and look back to those two games, then uh, then perhaps we do have a chance. They started well on Saturday. It was just the conceding two goals in whatever minutes and then rolling over and having their tummies tickled. Um, <laughs> I, I saw uh, Susanna on social media. There was a, a football, random football Twitter feed, as there many uh, are many of, um, running a poll in two parts of uh, worst signings of the season. Um, obviously, I could only include a total of eight candidates, none of them from Norwich, which I thought was interesting. Um, but they did include Emmy Buendia. Um which 
I suppose I don't know really. I mean, I guess as one of the three players who was supposed to replace Jack Grealish, I don't know. Maybe is that is that fair? I don't know, but it does seem a bit of a bit of a shame to see Norwich struggling and then Emmy Buendia sat on the bench at Villa Park. Yeah, it's not. It, 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 it's awful. But then, to be honest, actually, you know, they're the mugs because they've paid however many million for someone to, to warm their bench. Um, so that was sort of poor from them, really, and, and good for us. Well, maybe, I don't know how, you know, how <laughs> we spend the money. But, <laughs> but no, um, but you, you can just, you can see one of two things. Either what Steve sort of prophesied that we may end up getting Gerard sacked at the weekend, or you can just see them putting Emmy on and it being literally the kiss of death for us. Oh, you know, yeah. the one performance. Like, I can just see it being such a, like a, a Shakespearean tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> and it will, will kind of be in awe and like, oh, Emmy, but also, oh, no, what have you done to us? Well, like, imagine I can see if he, it going yeah. that way. Imagine if he was the man who relegated Norwich. I mean, that would be... Like, that, what, I mean, what, Narratives for days. I, you can't write that. <laughs> um, although you clearly can't. I, no, I just have this horrible feeling. It's either a really good feeling or it's, it's mm. bad. I just think it's going to be one or the other. I don't think it's going to be a, a nil nil. Sure. There was a great narrative in the reverse fixture when he nutmegged Todd Cantwell. Mm. And that's no slight on Todd Cantwell because actually he's someone who I think when Norwich City fans have the benefit of a little bit of hindsight will actually realise their club should be incredibly mm. proud regardless mm. of what happens from here. And as you say, Michael, it does look like he's he's he'll probably depart this summer one way or another. That is uh, one of my moments of the season. That one there etched in my head. Um, uh, I mean, bizarrely, Villa have still got to play Burnley twice, Steve. Oh, um, yes, and they've only got five games, I think, and two of them are against Burnley. Um, so, in fairness, if Burnley beat Villa twice, they'll actually be level on points with them. <laughs> is that um, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, I think Villa will have a game in hand, but. Um, but still, they just haven't uh, tried as hard as relative Everton to get relegated, though. Haven't no, they? clearly not. <laughs> I mean, it it is crazy down there. I mean, it's sort of remarkable that Burnley have sacked Sean Dyche and won what and unbeaten. I've got seven points in three out of nine yeah. since losing at Carrow Road. Uh, I mean, that's pretty mental because they weren't that good at Carrow Road. Um, and then Everton also look a bit screwed. I don't know, Steve. How do we? What do we? What do we want out of this? I mean, clearly, because it doesn't matter to us. Now, um, but, um, I can't remember who posted it on Twitter, so I, I apologise, but I saw it this morning and I saw someone say, we don't want Everton to go down because they will inevitably appoint Sean Dyche and then absolutely run away with the division. And I thought, you know what, I can, I can actually see that happening. Um, I think we probably, from a Norwich City perspective, we would want Burnley, I guess, because um, supposedly their finances would be dire. I don't suppose Everton's would be great, but they probably have enough quality to... Um, to do all right. But I think Burnley would probably be in a little bit of trouble if they did go down. However, from a neutral perspective, we would want Everton because it would be absolutely hilarious, especially with Frank <laughs> Lampard at the helm. So I'm torn. I'm torn. It would be hilarious. I do feel like these big clubs, when they end up in the championship, Michael, do end up getting out of it pretty easily. But I don't Newcastle, know. Maybe, well, maybe Newcastle's Leeds. Maybe Leeds. The last, Newcastle's the last Sunderland. one I remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, true. true. I mean, I remember when Newcastle went down and the thing I loved the most was that they lost twice to Scunthorpe whilst rampaging the title and getting the <laughs> such a brilliant oh. quirk that Scunthorpe... R.I.P. Scunthorpe as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, from a from a point of view of, of Norwich City, I, I'm with Steve. I actually think it would be definitely a bad thing for Norwich to have Everton go down. Burnley, by all accounts, have got these new owners with a 
very questionable leveraged buyout funding model where essentially they've paid for the takeover using the assets of the club and that's all kind of built off them being in the Premier League. So if they get relegated and suddenly they have to start propping that up, that could all get a bit interesting a bit quickly um, because by all accounts they seem to think that they were inheriting a Premier League club when, of course, as we all know, that's a that's a temporary thing. And um, and they wouldn't also have Sean Dyche, which arguably would be their best asset in doing what he's done plenty of times before. So, yeah, but it does seem like at the moment nobody outside of the blue side of Merseyside wants Everton to go down. Alice, <laughs> sort of, sorry, everyone wants Everton to, to, yeah, everyone wants them to go down. Alice yeah. sort of West Ham early 2000s where they had all yeah. this talent and they got 40 points and they still went down. There seems to be some sort of comic hilarity and Schadenfreude about the whole thing that everybody else is sort of desperate for it to happen. I don't know if we're allowed to enjoy that. Are we, Susanna? Are we allowed to mock anyone else? Uh, well, what, what, you mean Everton by anyone else? Yeah. <laughs> well, 1985, just ask any Norwich fan, Everton, Everton a free game. That's a great point. That's a great point. We're definitely over one for that. And that's a really good note to finish on, I think. Um, were there any other questions, Steve, um, on the comments? Anything worth... Um, Flagging um, up. There's been the. Oh, there uh, have been loads. Thank you for all your messages. <laughs> yes, there have been some. There have been some good ones, and the predicted uh, uh, slagging of of Weber in some situations as well. Someone's asked if Weber leaves slash is fired. What would that mean for Dean Smith? I think we've we've sort of half covered that. Um, so yeah, I think mostly. Thanks for the comments, everyone. But I think we've we mostly. Yes, thank you. We are going to do a. Uh, we are. Oh, hang up. Well, it's Simon Copperwheat says that the, the guy in the blue orb got his mind. Yeah, he did well. Yeah, as I say, came from behind um, as well. Really good performance. Really. <laughs> I missed that. Um, yeah, we are going to do a podcast in future where we we just go through all your questions, have a big old discussion. So we'll we'll do that at some point. You know, probably when we're in the midst of relegation and we can carry on. Um, I think for flan, fan, flan of the season, maybe that's, we should run that competition. Can we all make a flan? <laughs> or flan. Flan of the season. Uh, how do you make a flan? I think I know we're over time it. already. But, I, I think uh. you buy this, yeah. You buy the sponge from a supermarket, stick the fruit on it, and then put jelly on it. That's how you yeah. make a flan, isn't it? I think Michael's right, though. Surely Delia's got flan of the season sewn up most uh, years. I don't think yeah, we should start that as a competition. Um, I th- but the fan of the season, is it? I don't know. If it, I, would, I want to say Killian, um, but I could maybe yeah. say Cillian Killian or Chillian. But yeah, Killian? Killian, Killian yeah. O'Grady, please vote for me. So there you go. Killian's got the vote in for fan of the season. Um, assuming got that a good propaganda machine going as well. <laughs> I know, good work. I hope that helps. Um, and uh, Harry here. Um, does ask um, for the people watching, where is my Pink Floyd photo? It's gone. It's not behind me anymore. You're right, but it is just around the hallway. So don't worry, I do still have it and love it very much. Um, that's obviously very important, but I think we spoke enough about football, haven't we? Uh, Stephen Simons, happy birthday for tomorrow, Susanna. There you go. Uh, uh, happy birthday to yeah, we won't, we won't say, we won't say that. the 90% effort that was. <laughs> that was that was nine. Um, and I think on that note, um, we'll we'll wrap it up. Uh, that is it for On the Ball, the Norwich City podcast that preferred the May 2019 Villa Park atmosphere, and we haven't even had it yet. <laughs> uh, if you get to do so, make sure you start. Oh, I just yeah, can't subscribe. Read. 
subscribe to Michael. <laughs> subscribe uh, via your podcast player of choice, and you can hear more um, of me stumbling over words. Uh, the pod is available free for everyone on your usual player, and we are streaming the recordings of the podcast live in video form on my social media channels. So make sure you can uh, have give those a look and check them out. Which, if you wish to watch them, uh, ratings and reviews wherever prompted are always hugely appreciated. And if you want to get in touch with any questions or topic proposals, please do sling me a direct message on Twitter at Michael J Bailey, and I will do my best to note those. Uh, a big thank you to our guests this evening, uh, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, as always. Um, enjoy it. I hope you get to be on fo- Football Focus again soon. We didn't get to mention that tonight. Oh, that was. I'm going to just let my facial expression. Oh, he's beaming. The so guy's beaming. Honestly, you know that show that you like. You know, you you always try and be like cool, professional, or whatever. But I actually wasn't watching it. Because I I just done the commentary. It was Arsenal Coventry United FA Women's Cup quarterfinal the night before, and a friend of mine texted me, and I was I thought he was just pranking me, because the commentary's for World Feed, so the BBC could use it if they want, but they normally have their own people, and and then checked it, and I was like, oh, he hasn't pranked me, and that was the show that I used to watch. You know that show, right? We all have it. One of those shows that it was like, when I go to a game as a kid, it'd be the last thing I do before going to the game. You know, it's like that. Come on at midday, watch that. As soon as football focus is done, get out of the house and go, unless it's a long away day. So, yeah, Love that it. was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Oh, well done. I hope it happens thank again. And thank you for joining us tonight. Um, My pleasure. Much, much fun. Uh, Susanna, happy Yeah, yeah, quite. Uh, <laughs> Susanna, happy birthday for tomorrow. I hope you have a wonderful day. Have you got much planned? I've taken the day off work because it seemed really sad to be sitting working from home on yeah. your own for birthday. Okay. So my friend's coming from London, so we're going to have a nice day around Norwich, which would be nice. That sounds oh. lovely. Go get yourself a flan, a birthday <laughs> flan. That's, a, that's my contribution. I hope you have a brilliant day, and thank you for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, Steve, thank you as always. Thank you. Yeah, a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. It felt felt. Good to let off some steam this week. <laughs> good, good. I, I feel glad that this, you know, this this is hopefully a line under it for for you know until tomorrow. Um, so that's good. Um, uh, we'll do it again uh, soon. I hope uh, we'll be back next week. In fact, for a fresh bout of Canaries capers uh, in another edition of the On the Ball Norwich City podcast. But until then, he says, just trying to find the outro music. Never mind the danger. Clear, Susanna, Steve, Michael, all you Twitterers out there, welcome to Wits End. If any of you have stumbled across this for the first time, listen to On the Ball podcast number 42, which went live on September the 8th, 2020. Um, When climbing mountains was just a figment of people's imagination, that's not true. Um, It's all explained there. Uh, You can email this bonus part of the podcast directly if you wish. Twitterers, Twitter, K-E-R-S at iCloud.com or use the hashtag Twitterers. On Twitter, just don't explain what it's referring to because this is a secret club for only those who discover it, which I've um, realized is an issue uh, because Nick Dye tweeted a clip of the US Open Cup um, with the hashtag Twitterkers and the hashtag Pullum Market. I've got no idea why. <laughs> I don't know what, what that's got. Do we need Nick to explain himself? So, Nick, if you can get back in touch with the hashtag 
and maybe just explain <laughs> what was it of it's of um it was of a clip of the u.s open cup which is a competition i've never heard of michael in have what you heard sport of it? that sounds like golf um, doesn't it? oh it's football it was football oh, sorry football. Oh, it was okay. football and um uh yeah well it was in the yeah it was in the u.s but i don't don't know just sergeant was... any just sergeant links there I does just sergeant live know. in pull market um, um no. And um <laughs> okay. no, yeah. he's from like O'Fallon kind of Nick um, I can't remember. But he might live in Pullen Market now. Oh, I wonder right? if it's a team Nick's involved in. And I think he is from Pullen Market, so it might be that. But basically it was Edson Cardona and the base and Bay Cities FC taking the lead deep into the ninety against Monterey Bay to put them two one up in the US Open Cup. So I reckon that's maybe Nick died because he is a coach, his hard work. So that's great. Guy from okay. Pullen Market. I mean, I'm assuming this is true. It might actually be nothing to do with that. But I'm going to say well done, Nick Dye, on your yeah. well done, Nick. success. Well Possibly. done. Possibly. Possibly well done. We hope. If not, yeah. Yeah. please explain yourself. <laughs> uh, and the other thing, um, you may remember back in the day when I had a toothache, um, update. Well, yeah. Um, how did that go? Can we can we well, have an update on your teeth, please? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the tooth doesn't ache anymore, but I did ring oh, the dentist, and he said, "Yeah, you're still going to need it, you know, drilled." So oh, um, oh, I'm no. going to have that done at some point, and I'll be able to tell you whether it was less painful than relegation, um, or this particular relegation, anyway, because um, I remember all the other ones. Um, but uh, we we were sort of umming uh, and ahhing about tooth puns, and uh, James Hotchkiss came back with uh, andre wisdom of course oh that's uh, really good, good one. and i have to say i saw chris gorham for a coffee after he was live on the pod and he did say andre wisdom as well so great minds james and chris, any chris, any chris andre wisdom that. i don't think we'll get any better than that for uh, uh tooth puns did i say it have i said brian gum yet oh <laughs> i said that I can't remember if I said that when I was on before. That is wonderful. That is good. Well Kenny done. McLean your teeth, but that's probably about Kenny it. McLean your teeth. That's really that's good. That is really good. That's a touch. Well, that's not bad. Well, in fairness, isn't there a tooth? Wasn't there a McLean's tooth puff? There was a McLean's tooth. Yeah. 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 So it works on so many levels. Um, Some kind of pun about not cleaning up in midfield this season, but again, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a pun man, so I just like to set the thing up and let everyone else roll with it. Yeah, I mean, Susanna's brought her A game, Michael, so I'm afraid that it just doesn't. I don't have puns. The only thing I've got that I prepared for this segment was I've I've heard. I'm not going to lie, Michael made this sound like it might be quite a somber occasion. So I thought I would That's try and bring something positive for Norwich City fans, and I thought I'd also bring a trip in the Tardis. So which one do you want first? Oh wow! Uh, uh, how long are they, Michael? <laughs> they're, both, they're both not too long. Both okay, let's rattle through them. Uh, Tardis first. The Tardis is it's always there's always a time when it was worse. Leighton Orin at home, October two thousand and nine. Paul Lambert had come in, but the magic hadn't really worked. They had ten points from nine games. They were about seven points off the playoffs already. It was, oh my goodness, Norwich are going to be having at least a second season in League One. And then 78 minutes gone, Chris Martin finds the bottom corner. They go on a win 4-0. They beat Bristol Rovers 5-1 on Saturday. And the next thing you know, at the end of the season, the bloke that put a bet on 100 points and 100 goals, 
think nearly won that bet. <laughs> so that's oh your. Oh my god! I bet you're still sick about that one. <laughs> that's your. I think they ended up on like ninety-seven or whatever it was. Yeah, but, I hope he doesn't remember that. That's your. There's always a moment when it's worse. Good. Um, what was, was the actually, other option? Actually, ended up at that game. Is the the oh the uh, the positive one. Yeah. Is uh, I commentated World Feed on uh, certain other club from East Anglia that I know Norwich City fans have a lot of disdain for. Rotherham against Ipswich Town and uh, Ipswich Town confirmed, even though it was basically done before the game, that mathematically they won't be in the playoffs (laughs) with two games to spare. And I was kind of linking the TARDIS and the positivity with the fact that there's always, it's always a bit worse elsewhere. And if Norwich City fans want a bit of consolation, it's that for all Kieran McKenna actually, to his great credit, has improved them a lot since he got there. He still didn't improve them quickly or well enough to have them even in the playoffs in League One, never mind automatically promoted. So there are, yeah, there are some Norwich fans who hate any references to Ipswich at the moment. They can't bear it because it's like stop using that to cover up what's going on here. Oh, but there that, are sorry, some. No, sorry. but there are a there lot was, who love it. There, well. was, there was one little bit that people would enjoy that my friends who were Norwich fans were texting me saying you have to mention this, and I could perfectly legitimately within the commentary, which is of course who is managing Rotherham, a certain Mister Paul Warren. Well, mm-hmm. who, and who made, has? Oh, go on has his Norwich City connections and uh, made it very clear within the course of the commentary, rightly so, that he would enjoy this all the more sweetly. And Mr. Paul Warren has an extraordinary record against Ipswich. Six wins from seven and six clean sheets. So he's, he's, it, so he seems to bring out a little bit extra from him. And um, yeah, that was, that was the... And the other bit that I just slipped into the delight of Norwich City supporting friends was, of course, the fact that as well as his personal head-to-head record against them being that good... They still haven't beaten Norwich since what, whatever it was, 2008, 2009. I had the information at the time. Which is Are we talking about Rotherham or Norwich? Uh, no, no, Norwich hadn't yeah. beaten it. So the point oh, is, is in, you know, that Warren as a Norwich fan had a great record against them. And on a wider level, they very much didn't hold the bragging rights in East Anglia, which that was around the time where you, we were still arranging to, to come back on, Michael. And I was thinking, ah, OK. Well, Lady Luck has handed me a nice little thing to come on the Norwich City podcast. Yeah, I love that. Good old Warney. What a superstar. Uh, They're doing a Norwich, Rotherham, no, a division below. They do well, the same thing. Yeah, they're struggling think, a bit at the moment. I <laughs> think probably, I might have said... Go up, I think, I think I may have said after the Rotherham game when we beat them two years ago, we'll see, see them back again in two years. years. <laughs> lo and behold. Um, well, just to add as well, maybe. Stephen Stibbons says Jeremy Floss. Ah, oh, there oh, it is. That is good. Jeremy Floss. I think on that note, I'll let that one go. I think that that whether it's the end of the tooth puns, uh, who can say? Um, not me. Let's see. If you've got any others, get in touch with us. Um, with them, please. Uh, Twitterkers at iCloud.com is the email or hashtag Twitterkers um, or any other puns really. I, I'm I'm well up for just talking about puns between now and the end of the season <laughs> and football. Let's not know. let's not review any more football. Don't tell me this isn't more enjoyable. <laughs> um, but that is it. Uh, we, we've had a remarkable, wonderful podcast. Um, I think we should wrap it up now. So um, thank you all for being absolutely brilliant and stars. Uh, go and enjoy the rest of your time um, on, uh, you know, in, in your lives. Until <laughs> we next meet. And, um, and uh, um, uh, it would be good if you could say uh, goodbye on three, if that's okay. So one, two, three. Goodbye. And uh, there we go. Uh, They're all done. I've got something stuck in my throat, which is exciting. 
but that is it for this uh for this week's podcast hope you enjoyed it hope you felt it cathartic in some way and maybe slightly entertaining too uh we'll be back next week after the aston villa game um i will be at villa park um probably so you don't have to be so yeah um either way i will see you very soon get in touch with us and uh look after yourselves and until next time that's a rope